0: Have a long-term horizon always on on any investment, may it be in the stock market or or real estate. I like real estate because you don't see the daily fluctuations as opposed to your stock market account where you can see the stock going
1: up and down daily. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart, get the word out about their cause, and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Keith Wasserman. How you doing, Keith? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. Keith is the founder of Gelt, and they have acquired over $1 billion in real estate holdings. They, since inception, have acquired over – another way to think about it is over 7,100 units. That's both commercial, industrial, and residential properties based in Los Angeles, California. So with that being said, Keith, we give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus.
0: Yeah, sure. So I started this company, Gelt, in December of 2008. And I graduated from college in 07. So didn't have too many resources. But I saw the market was in turmoil, the stock market crashed, real estate prices were in the toilet. And I said, you know what, this is the best opportunity to get into the game. I'm young, I don't have a family yet. And my cousin and I, we bought a small four unit building in Bakersfield, California, which is in the Central Valley of California, for around $150,000. We got an FHA loan, so we only had to put 2.5% down. We maxed out, we got a cash advance on our credit card, and we borrowed $5,000 from a friend, and that's what got us into the game. And that was the hardest part, just starting. But once we started, we started buying another one with one family friend, and then another one, and we bought 14 of these little REO bank-owned fourplexes. We renovated them, leased them out, and just repeated the process until we realized there's a real business model here, and we started syndicating larger deals. And we started buying a 78-unit building a full year later in Bakersfield in '09, and it just was a very exciting time, very scary, because people were like, what are you doing in Bakersfield going out <laughs> there, two-hour drive north of LA? It's a very good economy based on oil and agriculture, but most people in LA don't really know where it is even, or really don't deal with that city, but it was really growing fast, it got hit hard by the housing bust, but we felt like it was going to be a, a nice place for recovery, and it did recover very nicely.
1: In total, you've acquired over a billion in assets. How many units do you have currently under management?
0: We currently own and manage. I should take away manage because we actually are outsourcing all of our property management. But we own over 5,000 apartment units and around 1,000 mobile home park sites currently. We've acquired now over 8,000, but we sold a couple thousand units over the last few years. But our goal is to really build a portfolio now and reach that 10,000 unit mark of current asset ownership and really just expand from there. But we really started selling some buildings to create a track record. And it really did wonders because we made a lot of money for our investors, did well for ourselves in the process, but they then continued to give that money back to us for new deals and told their friends and family that it really helped catapult us.
1: Why 10,000 units? What happens then?
0: It's just a nice round number, big number, something to look forward to. We always kept pushing the goalposts back further and further. The first goal was, I'd say, 10 units. We had our first fourplex. And then later on was 50 units, then 100 units, then 1,000 units. And it's just a nice goal for where we're at right now, our company's formation and life cycle. But to to be honest, I always like feeling that we're very new and we're treated like a startup and keep being very entrepreneurial. And we have a pretty small lean and mean operation. We have 17 people here in the office. We outsource all of our property management. To third parties that we're very heavily involved with, but it allows us to not have to be in the people business of hiring, firing, training, constantly pay a third party management fee of between two to 3% of gross revenue for the property management. And it really allows us to hone in and make money on the buy, which I've learned from early on in my career.
1: Prior to starting this, you were a college student, is that correct?
0: Yeah, I was a college student. So I started the University of Southern California in 2003. And I went until 2007. But all throughout my four years of college, I had a different business. We were one of the largest sellers of general merchandise on eBay. I sold around 200,000 items. And I was going from my dorm room to I had a warehouse in the San Fernando Valley here in L.A. I was going back and forth. And we had around 13 employees for that business. I started that I think 01 or 02. And I outgrew my parents' house and started very small in my house in the garage and just outgrew it. So my parents sort of kicked me out, made me get a warehouse and a good problem to have. So I learned from a young age how to deal with employees and customers and lenders and just growing a business.
1: What specifically from learning about how to deal with employees, customers, lenders, do you apply to your business now?
0: A lot of the same principles apply one of my dad's clients, my dad's an attorney. He had a client in the apparel business. He taught me not to be scared of really negotiating and you really make money on the buy. And one of the first things I did in high school, I was 17 years old and either a junior or a senior, I think a junior, I went downtown LA and I bought a hundred leather jackets for only $10 a piece. They were irregulars, meaning they had a little blemish on them. And the MSRP on these things, the suggested retail price, was over $300. They were Perry Ellis leather jackets. They were still brand new with tags, but they had little blemishes on them. So I bought them very cheap. I wasn't afraid to ask a very low price. And I ended up selling them for 80 to $100 a piece. So it was a huge profit margin. I just went to selling them to the students and the parents and the teachers and the janitors and whoever I could sell a leather jacket to. My whole car smelled leather jacket. But for a young guy, I made eight to 10 grand. It was a great feeling and to have some spending money and really to be fearless and really don't worry about offending anyone, just this is what I offered. And and I was able to purchase them for that kind of price and you never know. So just like in real estate, you got to make money on the buy. When you find a good opportunity, even if it's paying market price, you still have to have a vision and game plan for that asset. And there's no screaming deals like there were back when I started, but at the same time, they're still out there. You just got to be more picky and choosy.
1: The deal still being out there, you got to be more picky and choosy. Will you elaborate on that?
0: Yeah, so when people zig, we zag. And I'd say we started buying in new markets, for example. We bought a great deal in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Albuquerque is historically a market that a lot of the big money has shied away from. They redline it just because it doesn't have as sexy of a story or as much growth. However, the property we bought was in the best part of Albuquerque, the Northeast Heights area, best school district. The property was around 100% occupied, meaning the rents were too low, and the asset was in our. 80s kind of vintage, older asset that we usually buy and larger. It was over 400 units. So we acquired that and we're doing very well with it. And there was less competition compared to other markets that we've been in historically, like Southern California and Denver. And we're still buying in those markets, but it's just, we're making a lot of offers. We're getting beat out all the time. So we're just staying with our guns and and sticking to our prices. And that's why we sort of have started buying a lot of mobile home parks as well, because apartments have been very difficult to find good opportunities. And The mobile home park business is very fragmented. There's a ton of mom and pop, original developers and second generation in the business, not a lot of larger institutional kind of players. And we feel like there's a good opportunity to acquire a lot of these parts, bring some more efficiencies and professional management to them and run them better. And so we started buying those as well. And we've even expanded to some development sites locally here in LA. We're buying land for ground up development as well locally. So we are very opportunistic. Like I said, when people zig, we try to zag. And we have a long-term horizon, which is very different than a lot of our peers that are more in the short-term, three to five-year fix and flip. We have sold some assets in that period of time. However, we really aren't trying to make a quick buck. We want to really hold for the long-term. And real estate's best friends are time and inflation, which I learned from one of my very wealthy mentors who just passed a few years ago named Jonah Goldrich. And you can look him up. He was in the business for many decades. He was one of the pioneers of the early condo here in California. And time and inflation are really real estate's best friends. So if you have that, you have a long-term horizon, you can withstand the market pullbacks, then you'll be golden.
1: So for the Albuquerque property, for example, what's the projected hold period?
0: We bought it with a 12-year fixed rate loan. Most of them are Fannie and Freddie Finance with 10 or 12-year fixed rate because we're very conservative. We don't want to take any interest rate risk. And the rate was in the, I think, high 3% range. And we bought it over a six cap, like six and a quarter cap rate. So the cash flow was tremendous day one with upside as well. So we put in our projections that we're going to hold it for that 12 years. However, there's a chance that we can hold it longer and a chance that we can hold it less period of time. We're always fiduciary for our investors. And if someone comes to us with an offer way above market, we'll definitely consider it if we could find a suitable 1031 exchange opportunity to roll those dollars over. But for the most part, our game plan is to hold it for that long-term period and just refinance it when the loan comes due and just continue to hold it if the area keeps improving and the asset is being well taken care of. I always say, why get rid of the golden goose if it's laying the golden eggs? So we are long-term holders. And what does that mean? I'd say just generational if possible.
1: And with, say, the 12-year fixed-rate loan and your projection is 12 years and could be more, could be less... What are the projected returns to investors in that type of deal?
0: We push that one out at a 7% preferred rate of return to the investors, meaning the first 7% of cash flow annually goes to the investors and that's paid quarterly. And anything above 7%, we split 50-50. So let's say the first year the property is projected to throw off around 9% cash flow, the investors would get the first 7%. Plus the next two will be split one in one. So they'll get 8% on their money and we'll get 1%. And then if there is an eventual sale, the investor gets back all of their money in full that they put in. And then there's a 70-30 split. 70% to the investor and 30% to the Gelt team. And we call that the promote. The other fees involved, there's a 2% asset management fee. We charge 2% of gross revenues as an asset management fee. We have weekly conference calls with the property management company we oversee the entire business plan. We oversee all the major capital expenditures on the property. We're very, very involved. And then the last fee is the acquisition fee for putting the whole deal together. And that's typically 1% to 2% of the purchase price, depends on the size of the deal. So our investors are just very happy because if they're passive, they can go on with their lives working, or if they're retired. We have people from all walks of life. We have around 600 high net worth and ultra high net worth investors. As long as someone's accredited, we're able to work with them. And we're just a nice alternative place for people to park money. Our minimum check size for any deal is a hundred thousand. But if someone wants to start with fifty thousand, that's suitable. Also, feel more comfortable with us. And that's been a great way to grow, grow this, this syndication model.
1: So, for that twelve-year projected hold to your investors, what is the projected internal rate of return on a deal like
0: that? A deal like that, I think the IRR at the deal level was around a fourteen, like a mid-teen kind of IRR. We've always under promised and overperformed. We've never missed any of our IRR hurdles and stuff. And I'd say it is getting tighter and tighter. The investors are just getting more realistic. We just show them this is what the market is, and those are the deals that we're buying. The ones we're not buying, we're like single digit kind of IRRs. And for certain kind of investors, that's okay, like big insurance companies, etc. We're taking on a little more risk because we are buying a little older assets and more secondary markets, and we need to hit that at least mid teen IRR. But to be honest, we've sold around 13 properties, and the average IRR has been in the mid-20s on the deals that we've sold, as high as 50, and the lowest one was like a 15. But that's a product of buying in the recession, 9, 10, 11. We have a lot of unrealized IRRs on deals that we have no plan to sell. So I'd say when we're buying deals now, if we could make that kind of mid-teen IRR, 12 to 16% range, that's our conservative estimate, but we've always been able to exceed that. But who knows with cap rates it's crazy I thought they'd rise a little bit with the interest rates rising they really haven't and most of the money a lot of it's been on the back end on the sale of the property but we buy properties that have good consistent cash flow so in case there is some cap rate expansion, the investors are still making a healthy return on capital during the whole period from cash flow.
1: What markets are you in?
0: right now we have apartments in eight different states, Colorado and West. So we're in all the Western states. We're entering Texas now, so we're moving a little bit further east. And then on the mobile home park front, the additional states are uh, Alabama and Pennsylvania. So we have three parks in Pennsylvania, two in Alabama, one in Bakersfield, California, one in Reno, Nevada, and we just bought an RV park in the Bay Area in Monterey. But the apartments, the biggest markets for us are Denver, Colorado. We have 1,500 units. Salt Lake City, Utah is a great market for us. We have 1,000 units there. We're in Reno on the apartments, around 500 units. Portland, Seattle, Southern California, and probably missing one here. We were in Phoenix in a big way. We had 2,000 units in Phoenix that we acquired from 2010 to 13, And we exited all of those and made some huge profits for the investors. And the reason we sold was to create the track record and to take some chips off the table. But anything we sold has gone up tremendously more in value. So if you believe in something and it's a great location, I always recommend holding it for the long term.
1: Do you have the same third-party management partner across all of the apartments?
0: We work with three or four management companies. They're the best in those regions. So we're entering Texas now, San Antonio, and the management company we were working with didn't really have a big presence there. So we hired a local management company called UAG. I think they have over ten or 15,000 units just in that market. And then our go-to property management company has been AMC or FPI. They've managed the bulk of our portfolio. Just because We like working with them. We have a good relationship. Plus, they're in a lot of these major markets. But if those guys aren't in one of the markets, we will definitely interview two or three local management companies and try to form that kind of partnership with them.
1: I imagine your management companies that you work with for a lot of your units, when you ask them, hey, are you in whatever city? And they say no, but we'd be happy to enter into that city and manage your your portfolio. Do they usually
0: say that? It depends make sense for them just to have one or two assets. So if it's a market where they have a few assets and they're making a push to grow, they will try to get our business. But if they don't have a presence, it does cost a lot for them to enter a new market and they try to do it with some scale. So the companies we're working with are pretty upfront and honest.
1: So let's just go with the scenario where they say, we would like to get into that market. And let's say you're buying a portfolio that's large enough for them to get that scale. How do you determine if you should go with your management company that you have a relationship with, that you've worked with, but isn't yet in that market versus a new partner, but is in the market?
0: It's a tough decision. One is like the devil you you know, and one's the devil you don't know, I guess. In the past, we usually have leaned on companies that have actual boots on the ground and they have economies of scale in those markets. So I probably think we'd rather go with someone that we haven't worked with maybe that has a big presence and we're very thorough in talking to other owners like ourselves to get testimonials to see how it is working with these companies and what's really cool is i'm a partner and a co-founder in a financial technology company called demuso and our customers are actually management companies and other self-owner operators so it's cool because we know a lot of different management companies and we can really we know how they are working with them and how they operate and we have good insights into that. So I don't know how much the listeners know, but not only are we involved in the actual real estate, but the technology behind the real estate. We, we created this whole company that's a financial services business to help service customers that are like Gelt property management companies, owner operators, to handle all payments on the properties. So we do certified online payments, credit card payments, cash payments. You can now go to any MoneyGram location and pay your rent there. Some really cool, innovative stuff we're doing all around the payment of rent, flexible payments. We're doing our own point of sale financing where you can finance any payment due to landlord. Really cool, innovative stuff. So I'm involved with a lot of different things, but I pretty much spearhead the real estate. And my cousin, who's my co-founder, is now spearheading this new venture at the
1: Just going back to selecting management partner, just to bring it back there for a second. So what specific questions do you ask the management companies to determine which one you should go with, either the one that you know or the one that you don't know?
0: We always like to see the operating statements on some other properties that they manage in that area to see how well they're operating them. And usually they have to get approvals from those owners. And we do that. It's all about the people. Sometimes we've worked with a management company that we like, but the regional hasn't been that strong in a certain region. And they have reputations like this one management company might be better in Denver and Salt Lake, but not as good in call it Albuquerque or whatnot. So it's all about the people and having the right boots on the ground and We've seen it on our properties, like in terms of uh, performance, the the on-site leasing staff and the manager is crucial to operation. That's the first impression that's given when you walk into a leasing office. And it's all about the people. Even if the market's really strong, you've got to have the right people that are doing the management, doing the leasing, taking care of maintenance requests in a timely fashion and just really taking ownership of those properties. And We have different bonus structures that we provide to the management companies. Sometimes we've in the past worked with management companies where they've reduced their fee but we give them a back end piece of our promote and that really aligns our interests. So they put their best people on the deal. Some of these apartment communities that are four or 500 units have eight to 12 staff members between the leasing office and in the field, the maintenance techs, maintenance supervisors, et cetera. So we really try to form a partnership, even though those aren't our direct employees. We really try to form a strong partnership with them. So they work hard for us and we really empower them. We're not very overbearing and micromanaging. We really Empower the management companies to do the best job possible. But we have checks and balances where we go in and we do unexpected site visits. We make sure all the unit turns are being done properly, the property's looking up to par, just uh, stuff like that. But it's worked for us and we're continuing to utilize these third party management companies.
1: When they have their fee reduced, but they receive a back end fee as part of your promote, is that a separate agreement or are they in the original documents that are sent out? the PPM and operating agreement, those documents?
0: usually a separate agreement. I think we show it in our underwriting, but it's just a separate agreement between us and the management company. And we've done it on multiple occasions and they made, by reducing their fee, that 1%, they actually made a lot more from the back end than that extra 1%. And, And we like it because they really turned around the properties in a good amount of time and really went above and beyond to do a great job. So it was a really creative thing that we've done in the past. And we're always looking to really form these strong partnerships with these management companies.
1: What's a specific example of what that back-end promote fee would be for a management company?
0: I don't remember the exact percentage, but we calculated on a three to five-year hold on one of the earlier deals, how much money they'd be giving up by reducing the fee from, let's say, three to 2% or I forget the exact number. So you calculate what the missed income would be. And then we underwrote the deal. And then we said, if you hit these numbers, which we hope you could hit, this extra, I don't really, really remember, 1%, 2%, 3% of the promote is going to be worth, let's say, double or triple what that 1% reduction would be. So mm-hmm. by reducing their fee, they might be doing it at cost, but there's going to be a really big upside for them. So business is tough. The margins are pretty tight. I've heard anywhere from 20%, give or take, because the margins on property management, it's not a glamorous business. It's very unrewarding. And we felt like... We really want to treat these management companies right, respectfully. Give them these performance bonuses and treat them like gold. They're our partners. When we're looking at analyzing a new deal to buy, we always run it by our management companies, who are our eyes and ears, and they have more mass in the local markets than we do. And we really lean on them heavily.
1: What is your best real estate investing advice ever?
0: Man, the best real estate investment advice ever. I'd say, just like Warren Buffett advice: when people are fearful, be greedy, and when people are greedy, be fearful. So, oh nine ten. We started buying in Phoenix when there was blood in the streets. There was 100,000 people left via the immigration bill that passed. And Phoenix is the fifth or sixth largest city in the United States. It's not going anywhere. I knew the population would grow and continue to grow and the industries would start firing up again. And it really did. It They diversified the economy there. It's not just based on housing. And I didn't think it would turn around so quickly, but I'd say that's the first one. And then two is to have a long-term horizon always on, on any investment, maybe in the stock market or, or real estate. I like real estate because you don't see the daily fluctuations as opposed to your stock market account where you can see the stock going up and down daily. But I read a report recently that Amazon, for example, had a drawdown of 90% from peak to trough during the early 2000s or something. But if you were to hold it this whole time, you'd be up thousands of percents or something like crazy. So I'd say just buy in a good area that is appreciating and take good care of the asset we have a saying, run it like a Honda. We don't over-improve the properties, but we take really good care of them for the long term. And they're the affordable alternatives for people in these nice areas to be able to live in the nice areas, but have that affordable housing. And that's been our game plan.
1: We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, we have launched bestevercauses.com. That's bestevercauses.com. We profile a nonprofit or cause that is near and dear to our heart. Get the word out about their cause and also donate money towards their cause. If you'd like to, one, learn more about the causes that we're profiling, we do one a month, then go to bestevercauses.com. And if you want to suggest a cause that we profile that is near and dear to your heart, then go to bestevercauses.com, and there's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can submit one and we'll check it out. What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at A-R-E-I-U-S-A dot com. That's A-R-E-I-U-S-A dot com. Okay, best ever book you've read.
0: Best ever book I've read? I like Warren Buffett's The Snowball book. I think that was the title of it. It just talks about his career and life. And I really realized Rome isn't built in a day. Every day, as long as you're pushing the ball forward down the field and making progress, one day you'll look up and look back and be like, wow, we really did this. And it's been around 10 years since we started this business. And it's pretty amazing what we've accomplished. But I still feel like it's day one and really looking to continue to grow. So I'd say that book from Warren Buffett was a good one. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal we did, we bought... A 415-unit property in Phoenix, Arizona in 2010 for $16 million, Sold it three years later for $27.5 million. However, the next person put 4 or $5 million into it and sold it for $45 million. So just shows. Never sell. How much did you put into it? Only a million, probably. We were undercapitalized. It took us six months just to raise the money. We had to close with lines of credit, and we borrowed from some wealthier family friends. And we raised over six months the equity. It was a $5.5 million equity raise. And for the time, that was huge for us. Now we wouldn't even look at a deal that's like that small. So it's crazy.
1: What's a mistake you've made on a deal so far?
0: Undercapitalizing, I'd say, not coming in with enough equity. And uh, I always err on the more cautious side. Overraise, raise more money for reserves and for capex. And it's hard; you can't go back to investors ever, or I mean, you don't want to. And at least I don't want to. So I'd say uh, undercapitalizing for the deal.
1: Best ever way you like to give back.
0: We just started our own 501c3, the Gelt Foundation. We're providing rental assistance for tenants that are at risk to eviction due to financial crisis. So I'd say uh, giving back in my own industry has been really rewarding.
1: And how can the Best Ever listeners learn more about what you got going on and get in touch with you?
0: Go to our website, geltinc.com or email me keith at geltinc.com. That's K-E-I-T-H at gelt, G like good, E like elephant, L like Larry, T like Tom, and then I-N-C for incorporated.com.
1: Keith, really grateful you're on the show. Incredibly impressive what you've done from 2008 to today, starting with that four unit, and now your company's acquired in total over 7,100 units. And then the management questions and the insight that you provided is going to be really useful for best ever listeners who are looking to hire management companies and looking for some questions that they might not be asking already. Like, for example, can I see operating statements of properties you manage in the area so I can see how you manage them? And obviously, there's going to need to be some approval taking place, but that's a question that's in bounds, whereas perhaps some listeners might have thought that was an out-of-bounds question. Additionally, a way to show alignment of interest that I haven't heard of, and I'm really grateful that you mentioned this, is having your fee reduced and having the third-party management company participate in the back-end to promote and showing them here's the missed income, but then assuming that you do what we are all projecting you will do, then you will get two to three times more on the back-end. So really interesting stuff. Thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best-ever day, and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Sounds good. Thank you so much, Joe. Take care.
1: What is your return on life? Do you struggle with investing for a safe return? American Real Estate Investments specializes in passive income real estate investing through single family rentals, private money lending, and international vacation rental properties. Visit them at A-R-E-I-U-S-A dot com. That's A-R-E-I-U-S-A dot com.